Hi, everyone. This is episode six of Shit I'm Not Proud Of, Life After Marriage, and is a little mini milestone in its own way. We've been working on this project for a little over a month now and are so excited to continue to be doing it. For those of you who have been listening since the start, thank you so much for listening and for the feedback as we figure out what we're doing. We would also like to give particular thanks to the musicians who have sponsored this episode, the Freewheel Trio, who have graciously loaned us the use of their EP, which you are listening to right now. We've been getting music from a number of sources, but it's nice to mix things up and use something truly special. Check them out at freewheeltrio.bandcamp.com. In a continuing effort to explore different facets of modern romance, I asked a few friends what the institution of marriage meant to them personally, what they felt were the ingredients and the mechanics of a healthy relationship. It's a popular topic, but it's one that I know very little about when talking about marriage. Borrowing an idea from a spiritual mentor of this show, and somebody we admire quite a lot, Mark Groves, in our society, we are witness to much ado about the duration of a relationship, so much so that sometimes the quality of the relationship takes a backseat. For this episode, we have a very special guest who I've been excited to bring to the studio since this project was started to come and talk to us about what a healthy relationship means to her. And with that, we'll go to the studio. With us this morning is Sharon. Sharon is the author of the wonderful blog, The Relationship Rolodex. If you're looking for good content to read in between coffee and the following biscuit, it's good stuff. It's very entertaining. And I find it something that I identify with. But we'll get to that. Uh, Sharon, tell us about yourself. What, 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 who are you? What do we know about you? Uh, so I'm Sharon. I am 20-something, been living in Denver for about four and a half years, originally from the East Coast. And I got married about a year ago, so I think we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, I'm a social worker. That's my main passion and career. And I consider myself an optimist, lover of movement, dance, creativity, um, and I love talking about relationships. That's ah, my side hobby. Side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Let's talk about this blog. You learned a lot. And and for those of you listening, I suppose this is kind of in response to something that Sharon wrote recently about sort of, I believe it was called Reflections on the First Year of Marriage. This episode we called Life After Marriage, which I realized might sound a little divorcey, but it, it was more about transition what I'm, I'm interested in talking about is what happens when you go through this big thing that changes the contract of your life and, and, and sort of the, the meaning of, of how your relationship works. But I'm, I'm curious to explore that space. Like in your words, how do you feel about this transition that you went through? Yeah, that's a question that people love to ask after you get married and they sort of like look at you as if you've crossed some bridge that they're still waiting on the other side of. And so my partner, Jordan, and I, we've been together for about five years. We've lived together for a majority of that time. So part of it hasn't changed. Like there's things about a wedding that don't change 
your life together and how you get along and how you relate to each other. But there are two areas where I do feel like there is a shift in getting married. And for me personally, those have been the sense of family sort of changes after you get married. This person that you get married to is no longer your romantic partner or your best friend or your domestic partner, but there's this new sense of this is my family. This person is probably the most important person in my family. My mom, my dad, my siblings are theirs and vice versa. And I really felt that on the wedding. So there is something about bringing all those people together, saying vows in front of everyone that creates the sense of like, we're all family now. This isn't just about being romantic partners or being attracted to someone. This is about like, we want to share resources and people with each other. Um, And with that, I think the second thing that was different for me was this just renewed sense of commitment. Like it is a really big commitment to invite a bunch of people to pay a bunch of money and fly somewhere to come (laughs) celebrate with you. And you're doing it because you want their support and they do it for you because they want your relationship to work. And so it's like when you have big fights or things go wrong, that is something that like I think back on of like, we're married, we're committed to each other. This is, there's no easy out at this point. There is no like, I'm done, I'm bored, I'm not satisfied, I can just leave. That's just not how it works. That's how I view marriage. I don't know that everyone shares the same opinion, but for me, that's um, a big benefit to it is that for both of us, we're, the commitment level has, bar has been raised. Right. It's such a funny thing too, because asking people to come out, it's an investment. Like everybody who you ask to come is going to be buying flights and and hotels and rental cars and this kind of thing. And before we get into that, I want to try and see if I can take this in a linear sense. What stands out to me when you talk about change is this distinction between the change that you feel while going through that process or, or adopting this new life and this framework that we typically understand clinically or just from experience in life change typically is very slow. There aren't a lot of punctuated changes. So it's fascinating to me that you describe having this one moment and like in a single afternoon, there's a new framework or a new rubric that I I do these value adds. What do you suppose are the ingredients in the speed at which change can occur? I think that the the wedding, that day, that weekend is like the symbol of all the change that's been happening because mm. you spend a long time planning a wedding. All of those things lead up to it. And the wedding and the pictures are the thing you have to look back on of like, here's how far we've come to this point. Um, but it is a discrete point in time. So it's like artifacts in history, but the change is still mm-hmm. gradual like anything else. That's that's what I think. Yeah. yeah makes that, sense. That the wedding itself is like a symbol of all the work you've been doing. Yeah. Super tangible landmark. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. And it's fun. Hopefully. I like, (laughs) yeah, this idea of evidence-based history is a fascinating one, right? Like, because maybe if you're really lucky, there's going to be like some extra photos from the behind the scenes. After enough time has passed, you probably just don't remember a lot of those details. And it does become about this, this, oh yeah, well, the wedding happened and then bam, all this change, new chapter. Yeah, one of my favorite pictures from our wedding is a picture of Jordan yawning, like in between (laughs) real pictures is him just being like, I'm so tired of taking all these pictures. And that's one of my favorites because it's a real moment of like, yeah, this is a long day. No one wants to like stand around for nine hours in a row. Is that the one that like goes up on your desk at work and that kind of thing? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. 
a lot of members of my family probably got married maybe like five years ago. It seemed to be a big cluster of people doing that. And I remember one of my favorite cousins said, the wedding starts to feel like it's not for you. And that's not really in a negative way, just it is honoring your family and honoring the fact that they're showing up and combining forces and supporting you. So it's not a performance, but it's definitely something sort of akin to that because it is for them. Absolutely. To be interesting. And depending on what your family culture and how you, how your family thinks about marriage, it can be to a pretty high degree that like yeah. the whole wedding is really for your parents to plan and execute. For us, we were pretty, I felt lucky that our parents didn't have strong opinions about a lot of things, but if they did, we, that would have been important because it is very much a family thing in right. my view. Yeah. I want to circle back to something that you mentioned. You were saying that, um, that you're not sure if, if everyone takes it as seriously. Do you think that people in the past have taken it less seriously? I personally feel like our generation is slower to get married and slower and more calculating when it comes to making these big jumps, maybe because we've seen a lot of people not take it so seriously. Do you think that's true? Mm, I don't know. Maybe I want to revise from saying the word seriously because Mm -hmm. there are probably plenty of people who could look at me and don't think that I take marriage seriously because of how I carry it out. I think that our generation has the privilege of thinking about marriage in a much more critical way. And that's kind of how I approached it. And originally when I started writing for the blog, I was single. I wasn't anywhere near approaching marriage, but I really wanted to think about my relationships, why I was pursuing them, how I was pursuing them, and the effect that it had on my life. And I think that more people our age are able to choose if getting married is the right thing for them. So when I talk to my friends who are considering getting married, the things that I ask are like, why get married? Why get married versus date forever? Like, what is the benefit to you? And the draw can be anything from like religion or family expectations. That's a very legitimate reason to get married. Or like, I want to have the party and the celebration. I think that's also Also a great reason. So um, people think a lot more critically about marriage now, I think. And I think it's a privilege. You're right. Like Definitely. it's it's changed. The expectation isn't that you have to get married to fit in. There is that that doesn't completely change. Like you do get treated you do get treated differently if you are married versus not. That's true in a lot of settings. I definitely have seen that getting closer and closer to 30. I definitely have kind of like struck up struck up a deal with uh certain members of my family, it's like, you don't ask me about my dating and you don't ask me whether or not I want to get married ever again. <laughs> These are important boundaries to establish. Oh my if, God. If well, they are really for tired. me. Yeah. Being someone who has been on, on the cusp of those bigger commitments and the question and the ring and the telling the parents and all of that stuff, being on the other side of it, I it's like the last thing that I want to talk about. But it is something that that I think, I mean, I'm looking around and I'm seeing that we're all taking it, just putting it into a different kind of context. You mentioned this other thing that happens in highlighting some of the changes that have occurred. There's also this other business of, were there any relative constants in the whole experience that took you by surprise? I don't know if any of them took me by surprise, because I think Jordan and I had a pretty realistic perspective of like, the wedding is a specific day in our life. And it's a super important one when you compare all the days together. But in reality, it's not going to change us. It's not going to change the things we disagree on or 
how we both handle conflict differently or anything like that. So a lot of that has stayed the same, but I expected it to. Yeah. I think that I expected more things to to stay the same. I was more surprised by like how much a wedding did infuse this sense of family and commitment to agree to a degree that I didn't expect. That's really fascinating. I've I've asked this question to a few of my married friends and as an interviewer, it's such a, a lob, like it's a really easy softball to <laughs> toss at somebody be like, oh, well, what's different? What's new? And everybody's kind of come on this. There's a, a very consistent tone of something almost spiritual, like just a, a some kind of cerebral shift that happens that maybe like we were saying does happen actually very slowly, but becomes the foundation for whatever it is that you guys try to do next kind of thing. Yeah, I like the term spiritual because weddings, like that's that's kind of a, a an important root of weddings in addition to, you know, all the like power and pillaging and combining <laughs> right. family money and all that taking over kingdoms. But spirituality is an important part of weddings and Jordan and I both being pretty agnostic people, I felt like our wedding was very spiritual. As we get deeper and deeper into this, we're kind of, I think you even kind of joked about this right at the start, right? There is this thing that people like me do, or we gravitate towards these kind of questions to to highlight differences, right? Would you say that you've carried anything from that other life of from, from even just chewing, choosing to do the relationship Rolodex in the first place? Are there lessons or other bits from that kind of like single or pre even necessarily knowing Jordan part of your life that you've found are really useful tools or things that you carry with you? Yeah, definitely. I learned a lot in my early 20s about relationships and what I wanted from them and what I didn't want from them. And that's really where the blog started was trying to sort of compare the standard model for relationships, the relationship escalator, as a lot of people would call it, to what I genuinely wanted. And being in a space where like, I don't have the family pressure to adhere to a certain path, I really felt like I had a lot of privilege to sort of create my own path. I think that helped when Jordan and I started dating, I was able to be pretty clear about here's the things that I need. Mm. These are just non-negotiable. So let's just stop right here if this (laughs) isn't going to work for you. And that included things like, for instance, I love dancing. And so I said, I need to be able to go out and dance by myself with my own people and you can come and you can participate if you want. But this is a thing that I know for some people may not work, might you know, invigorate some jealousy and make you feel uncomfortable. And if that's the case, I totally respect that, but that's not for me. Right. Um, I also need to be able to have close friendships with other people and for you to understand that you can't fulfill all of my needs. And so it's really important that I have my own things and people outside of you. And he was totally game for that. And I think operates kind of the same way. You know, in my early twenties, I developed lots of friendships and really great relationships and relationships with hobbies and things that just make me happy and being able to hold on to those in getting married while still balancing it with having this really high priority relationship has been super important. That's like the gold standard. This is such a benchmark. We, we sit around here and, and preach about boundaries all the damn time. There's no right or wrong time to approach relationships differently. And that's so amazing that you learned that so early. I can only imagine that those lessons came from the good and the bad. Did, what would you say you gathered the most information from? Uh, 
thing that I often tell people is I love to borrow all the relationship rules from people who are polyamorous or in open relationships. Mm. I think that, yeah, I think that there's a lot in there about communication and openness and being in constant conversation about what you need and where you are that is not expected in the same way in a closed relationship. I think in a closed relationship, people assume that like you set the rules, you say your vows at your wedding, and then you just know what to do from there on out. But people are always changing and evolving. So while Jordan and I aren't in an open relationship, we borrow all the rules from our friends who are. And I've learned more from those types of books and those types of people than anything else. What about the mechanics of those relationships lends itself to having such a good communication style and and having such good foundations for some of this stuff that we can all benefit from? I think the fact that if you are in an open relationship, you have to communicate because there's multiple people involved. And if when you have multiple people, you have to kind of keep the conversation going and there's more chances or opportunities for people's emotions to change and plans and schedules and all of that. So it's kind of a constant renegotiation because if there's two people, you might have your own set of unofficial rules that you operate by, but then someone else comes in and then you have to renegotiate, well, what's our schedule now? And when can I see this other person? And what would still feel good for you Mm -hmm. while still allowing me to have this independence? And you could take that same concept and apply it to a closed relationship where, you know, sometimes for me, it's, you know, I really want to explore this other activity that doesn't involve you and I need time to do it, what would work? And then there's this negotiation of like, well, but like our weekly date night is really important. And if you do it on this night, it's going to force us to change that. Triggered or neglected. That's a fascinating corollary. It's like the, because the larger a business is, the the more communication you need, right? There's this sort of rule in that they teach every MBA about like the amount of time you spend investing in communication is totally a function of how large your organization is. I had never considered that you could take that same rubric and just slap it into a relationship. You're like, oh yeah, well, if there's six people here, we got a lot of logistics to sort of sift through. <laughs> definitely. It seems like the highlights of of those rules that stand out to me are definitely um, transparency and maybe even like over communication. Yeah. There's also this, um, I think with that, you have to have more tolerance for people's negative emotions. I I'm not, I don't even like the word negative, but unpleasant emotions. So mm-hmm. I think in a closed relationship, you can kind of assume you know what the rules are and not check in as often if you don't want to right. about how someone's feeling. But in closed relationships, people also get jealous and angry and frustrated and upset. They just don't have any one other being dependent on. And you have like a lot longer fuse fundamentally what this comes down to is upholding some idea of an end of responsibility and there are different conditions be it how close you are how far away you are or how many people there are in the relationship or whatever else like there's probably a bunch of these different axes that you can traverse that become really important for defining how much tolerance to somebody's bullshit a relationship can stomach before it becomes really critical or becomes a really big problem. Someone very dear to me has recently, I guess for lack of a better word, like come out about exactly how open their relationship is. And it's been very interesting to see this person grow in kind of a different direction and be more open and transparent about their relationship and how that works and how it has been working without any any of the other loved ones like myself knowing about it. So listening to these conversations, I'm seeing this 
human being a little defensive because it's the beginning, but also saying some really valuable things like, hey, we actually have really difficult conversations that don't normally come up until you're way into the relationship and like almost might be kind of too late. Like we're discovering things and it's a privilege and it's kind of interesting. You might want to give it a shot. It's like, well, I don't know about that, but I love you. (laughs) Really happy that you're happy. Yeah. One thing I always like to say is that no matter what type of relationship you choose, you're choosing one set of pros and cons that you think works best for you and the people you're with. So monogamy, we all know about the cons. Like we've heard a lot about them. We've seen them. (laughs) Yep. Uh, There's a lot of cons in there, but there's a lot of pros too, because you do, you do work through challenges with one single person. And there's something very rewarding about that. And this heightened level of commitment and, Whatever relationship you choose, you should be aware of the pros and cons that come with that because there's no one size fits all and there's no perfect type of relationship. So getting married, like, I'll just spoil it for everyone. It doesn't solve all the problems with your relationships. Right. It's not a band-aid. The same way that having children is not a band-aid. It's not going to fix your marriage. It's actually going to accentuate the issues that you're running into. Yeah. Whatever you hate, you're going to hate more once you get married. It's like a bullhorn for... (laughs) I'm stuck with this shit forever. Oh, man. Ever, ever, ever. I like I, I I love this idea of carrying the lessons from different parts of our lives forward. There's almost I mean in reference to the the this business of there being like a single camp and a and a married with children camp. There's almost this like Sun Tzu esque notion of both knowing yourself as well as kind of the opposition, whatever that means in a different context, like the business of carrying lessons with you wherever you go is so important. And I think it's really cool that you've managed to kind of almost build a trade out of that, both with the blog as well as just having a very sort of academic or or there's like a rigored approach to what it is that you feel is necessary to make success happen in this thing. Yeah, I think it's all about carrying your lessons forward and integrating them into your new world. So I think there was probably at one point I was naive in thinking like, I've set up who I am in my identity and now it will be unchanging. And anyone who's going to come into my life is going to fit into this in this way that I think. When in reality, you should also be open to people changing you and molding your perspective and to compromising with other people. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I have tried to incorporate into my more mature relationships is like, hey, you know, we are evolving people and the goal is to evolve together in a really agreeable way. And obviously sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And you both have to be in the same school of thought, at least when it comes to growth, it seems. I have no idea where to go right now. I'm sorry. I'm still like, I feel like all of us are sort of waiting, waking up. This is the first time we've ever recorded <laughs> On a morning. while the sun is still up. <laughs> yeah. I'm dog sitting. The dog ran away. I'm just like, my mind is still with the dog. Sitting. Still with the oh, dog. No. I, I found her. Okay, good. But Dog's not out. She's not, yeah, so. she's not MIA. Anymore. When the dog runs away, it's it, it feels like a metaphor kind of unfolding in real life. Yeah. She abandoned me hard. <laughs> yeah, she's just, oh, my dog left me. I, there's so many country songs about this. <laughs> How disappointing would it be to keep running away and someone keeps finding you because you have a GPS? What if you don't want to be found? Mm. Yeah, low jack the dog and then, and then doesn't want to 
you know, what if the dog just doesn't define its value by, by how, how you feel? I was, what was that? There was like a comedian or something like that talking about or pantomiming Rudolph and being like, no, Santa, I don't, I don't, I don't judge my value by how useful I am to you. I will not lead your sleigh. <laughs> uh, I got, I don't know where this goes. Um, well, tell me about dance. If, if we're, if we're finding a list of things that different parts of our lives become really relevant, has your world of practicing dance and doing that as a big part of your life colored other areas yeah i think dance for me is like my version of dating another person in this metaphor are you dating the other dancer or are you dating dancing dancing Uh, it's the whole thing dating the activity yeah the activity itself it's Uh, a thing that's really important to me that i want to spend time on that gives me a lot of joy Um, and i kind of go in and out of it there are phases of my life where i don't dance as much and phases where I'm really into it and excited about it. It's a thing where I connect with other people out in the world. And for a partner, that can be scary to know that like I'm having really meaningful connections with other people that I could be attracted to. So it was really important for me to find someone who could appreciate that and be happy for me to have that space. But I also, at the same time, appreciate that Jordan checks me on that type of stuff and Mm -hmm. reminds me that like, we're still in a relationship. So you being able to go out and dance or pursue whatever activity activity it is that you want to do doesn't mean you can't prioritize me or our life or our schedule that like we still need time together. Um, And so we periodically have to have check-ins about that and say like, is this schedule working? Are we spending enough time together or not? And one thing that Jordan is good about saying is, I don't feel like I'm the priority right now. Mm. And to me, it's really important that he feels comfortable to say that being open in some ways in our, in our relationship and having room for other things to take over doesn't mean other things can just overrun the relationship. So I really need that person who is grounding and is able to say, this isn't working right now. So I would say probably like every six months or so, we probably have to like check in and, you know, lasso me back in and reorganize the schedule a bit. What a sacred thing. I mean, come back down here, star child. Yeah. (laughs) The number of relationships I've been in where I really wish I had that sort of buddy pass. It's almost like I want to get out of jail free card to be really needy for a minute. (laughs) Like, I know it's going to pass, but like right now I'm like damn it, I need a hug or, or whatever. Like what, however that manifests in different relationships, it's going to vary from probably person to person. But I think that it's got to be very important to have that sort of shortcut or like there's a highway to directly communicating where threat exists, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's some type of alert system of like, this is really not working or like I need veto power over something. And um, so sometimes I'll use that phrase about a big decision that really lies with me and saying like, at the end of the day, I'll give you veto power over this. And as long as you're taking my side into consideration and we're really being thoughtful in how we're going about this, if you really can tell me you don't feel comfortable with this, like I will totally trust you to veto something if you can see something that I can't see. I had a gift from an ex, which was called Lifeboat Rules, <laughs> and it applied on a very similar rubric. I'm like, look, you need to get in the fucking lifeboat right now. Like, we got we got some do or die shit going on. And it, I think that in the f- years of that relationship, Lifeboat Rule was only invoked like maybe twice, 
but they were in really critical moments of like, no, this really needs to happen right now because right, it is like I need crucial to, to our survival. Yeah, exactly. That sounds like, I mean, all of, of this sounds like kind of the art of this really hot term right now, which is learning how to hold space. Uh-huh. Like there's space for you to do things that make me feel uncomfortable, but there also needs space. There needs to be space for me to tell you that you're doing that without you being a distant dick about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I love how you put that. The like, yeah. I have space to do things that make you uncomfortable and you have space to Don't. communicate about them. And it doesn't mean that there's some perfect solution where, because you're uncomfortable, I stop doing something. The solution usually, like most things, lies somewhere in the middle. Right. Negotiation, again, it's a good word for these things. You say that this is a hot new term, but I feel like bat phone has been around for a very long time. <laughs> we need to be able to call the Russians in the in the midst of a you know thermonuclear escalation and say, like, homie, I just need a hug right now. Stop dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. For some reason that has come to my attention more like listening to other people's podcasts and and reading other people's blogs lately, just the term like holding space. And it seems to be something that's being explored. It has existed. It just didn't have like... And it wasn't as precious, right? Like I, 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 I still to this day use the term bat phone. I try to make that funny. Like I don't not laugh when I'm bringing it up, but the the metaphor is powerful. It, it, It holds space for a really cool tool that we all should probably have in our our toolkit prior to getting into these really serious engagements. That's kind of something that I want to to practice more even in my work relationships and my relationships with my family. Like I I think the concept of learning how to create room for uncomfortable situations to arise and conversations to happen and negotiations to occur after like that skill if you can master it in one area may as well master it in all because I know that my relationship with my younger sister has gotten way better because of that. And I didn't really even start thinking about it in a really mindful way until last year, but she lives in Brooklyn. I live in Colorado. Like we hardly ever see each other. I saw her last year face to face for Christmas. And that was the last time I've seen her. Like I have to change that soon. But Mm -hmm. I also have noticed myself trying to do that more at work too. Yeah. People don't often expect that at work. That's kind of an unwritten rule of like, you go with the flow. You don't bring up something unless it's a major problem. Don't be (laughs) confrontational and don't cause a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're right that learning how to do that. I mean, one of the things I've learned from being in a relationship is that our relationships are pretty similar and some of them just take different priority and space in your life, but right. they all kind of follow the same principles and learning to hold space and give people space to be uncomfortable is part of moving forward with yeah. anyone. Would you say that your success metrics have evolved as a part of going through this process? There's a common question that shows up around here about when things should end, when it's time to walk away, this kind of thing. Uh, is the the renewed sense of commitment also connected to this idea that you're able to tolerate more? I think so. Um, it may not be a direct correlation, but I think that part of committing to someone, whether that's through marriage or through just an emotional step in your relationship, is raising the bar for what you're willing to work through with someone. So I can think back to like in the first year or two that Jordan and I were dating, we had a really big fight about something. It almost ended our relationship. It almost it really made us question like, are we doing this or not? Right. Um, and at the end of that, the answer was, yes, we're doing this. And Jordan was in, I could tell he was really in this space of like, 
worried that I might just break up with them out of the blue because he he didn't have a handle on where our relationship was at that point. And I could tell that was really unnerving for him. And I can see why I would have felt the same way if I were in that space. And so after thinking about it for a weekend, I came back and told him like, things aren't fully fixed. I am committed to our relationship. And in addition, what I can commit to is I am not going to blindside you. Like we have now moved past the point in our being together where neither of us deserves to be out of the blue, broken up with, left, unless someone is in grave danger. Like if if we're having an emotional problem between us, we need to be working on it together. And if we ever leave each other, it will have been after we Train. both know what's going on and we both are making some type of concerted effort. There's We're past the point where you get to blindside someone and be like, I'm done, I'm bored. And that is... That is so interesting. I think we've all been there. And and I think that, you know, each relationship obviously has its own sliding scale for sure. Being faced with those moments and learning how to deciding that you want to try to argue with someone constructively, like I think that is really like the deciding factor in how serious a relationship is going to be. And you have to have those fights. Like some people look at those moments as like only negative, but I think they're kind of amazing. I Those mean, have been the best moments in our relationship. Yeah. That's when, and and when I've tried to answer the question for people of like, how do you know Jordan's the one? One, I, he's not the one because in reality, I think we all have many ones and many people that could make us happy. But it's about, it's about finding one at Who the right place and right time. Who was that comedian that sung that song that was like, you'll do? <laughs> it was like an ode to his wife. I want to hear that. If I didn't have you, someone else would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this I this the biggest thing that I can point to of like, this is when I realized like that we could get married and that this would be a relationship that I would want for a lifetime is seeing how we can work through conflict and that the lowest moments end up being the best ones. That yeah. Invariably, every time we have some type of really big fight that brings out a lot of disagreement and all of our personality flaws and all of that, at the end of it, when we get through it, our relationship is that much higher than where right. we started. And that is that was definitely not the case in any of my prior relationships. It's something I noticed that was different, is that hard times lead to better times. And I have this sense of trust that like, if we fight about something, we will get through it and we will come out better on the other side for it. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm listening to that. And I think I, I've had that for portions of relationships for sure. But yeah, that's definitely a goal. Maybe there should be counseling for, well, I mean, that's, I think that maybe that is what relationship counseling is, is to teach you how to constructively disagree and argue. That is a lot of marriage and family therapy is learning how to be okay with your conflict. And I think we often get scared by things that we don't agree on. But in reality, all relationships have unsolvable conflicts. So this idea that like we can work through this and then it'll be done and it'll never come up again. For most conflicts, that's not the case. That's fiction. Jordan and I know that there are topics and areas where we will fight about them for the rest of our lives together. (laughs) The key is figuring out how to manage it and how to just accept that the other one fundamentally disagrees because we're too independent people that have our own opinions and backgrounds and everything. And it's sort of nice to do that lovingly, right? Like I enjoy bickering because it gives a sense of closeness despite sort of accentuating differences and it's in its own way. I find a lot of comfort in that concept because I think 
you know, we've all seen a hundred movies where someone's with the one, but then they meet the other one and then they realize, oh, if I have these feelings for this other person must mean that my original love them. Yeah. Then my original relationship is crap. And I just, that's total bollocks. Yeah. I want to throw that out. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think it's way more comforting to live in a world where you can be like, yeah, I really enjoy that other person and feel attracted to them. And I feel like they could be an important person to me, but they didn't come into my life at the right place and time. I already have someone. and mm. Right. And you choose them and you're chosen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jordan and I have frequently talked about this idea of like, man, it sucks when another one comes in while you already have one. Because <laughs> you just kind of have to sit with that. Yeah. Um, just let that, you both do. let that linger. Yeah. I mean, if you're both aware of it, it's like, oh, damn. Yeah. We've, we have had that happen before. And it's been some of the best like experiences and conversations we've had of like, I really connect to this other person and I can't really change that. But I still want to prioritize our relationship and yeah. have someone to talk to about it. It's kind of a cool problem-solving exercise, too, of just, like, finding ways to still have those really meaningful connections, right? Like, it yeah. gets super boring to not have other friends, like you said. And yeah. I definitely grew up in a situation, and and I I love my mother to death, but this is something that we disagree on to this day, which is that your friendships with the opposite sex when you are in a serious relationship, it's healthy, it's okay, and it doesn't have to be this jealous drop everyone except me thing it just i wonder doesn't if, work like i wonder that. if the mechanics of that have changed like if there's a generational component i think it's there. definitely more of a generational thing especially for me being from the southeast that seems to be a pretty common theme in older southern relationships you know and i hate to say it but there's a lot of divorce like the divorce rate is high in that generation too and it i definitely want to mark it up at least partially too Maybe that school of thought, which is that like, there's no room for air, you know, for lack of a better word. Like you can't just drop everything. You need to live your, live your life and not lose yourself. And friends are a big part of that. And attraction doesn't go away. You just have to trust people, trust your person and choose them. Yeah, there's a false sense of control in limiting who your partner can and can't be friends with. Because in reality, like they're still going to have coworkers and people that they come across, even if they're not friends in quotes yeah. and you, attractions come up no matter what, yeah, whether this, you have a super traditional relationship where you yeah. are technically only friends with each other. Oh my God. Not. Well, and you also, I mean, you can't control when someone just kind of pops up. The big objection that I have to that sort of thinking that you're talking about, Anna, is it ties back to this idea we had visited maybe a couple weeks ago. Our idea of self I, th- I believe is is fundamentally fluid. And just the idea of having a single person, a single relationship or, or whatever, it's going to get into a fight with this seemingly immovable concept that our personalities are fluid and that anything that we say about ourselves is just a snapshot. Good change, yeah. And holding on to those snapshots is going to hold back whoever it is that you're becoming or or what it is that you're trying to evolve into and if there's not room to allow that concept of growth and that dynamic aspect of your personality it's going to be very difficult to subscribe to this idea that there's only one person out there for me and that this relationship is the thing it's not to say that you can't have lifelong relationships it's that those relationships must be as dynamic as the people in them 
And the only way I could imagine that the framework of having just one person show up is if you've found two people who are just magically not changing and they're the exact same way they were on their wedding day. And that, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just could you imagine going to dinner with those people? Like, no. What's that household look like? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do with one of my exes was to go out to dinner and look around and play the game, the guessing game, which is how many more of these couples are still having sex? <laughs> What's the like standard percentage in the room? I don't know. Lots of deliberation. It was always a fun conversation. <laughs> Sometimes his interpretations were way different from mine. I loved it. <laughs> Good game. There's nothing like judging people out in public. I'm not. I'm not looking down. I'm, I can't. Yeah, I'm not I can't, above I can't that. speak down. To that. As long as they uh, don't hear you. What are What are some of the most shameful ways that we've judged people in public? Do you suppose people who do not control their children when they come out to eat and make that situation everyone else in the restaurant's situation? Yeah. I, it's just the lack of consideration. You can't like you know muzzle your child. I've got a great idea for a product on Amazon, (laughs) a child muzzle. It's called a pacifier. Right. It's like a a, a slightly more age-appropriate ball gag. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ball gag and children, two terms. Don't really want to... You don't really want to marry those. We're we're getting into a dangerous territory here. Yeah, let's not. Are there any other questions that you would like me to ask you, Sharon? I don't... I don't have a question for myself. No. Can I have can I ask you guys a question? Always, of course. So I'm curious for each of you being not married people, mm. what is your perception of marriage? The good and the bad. The concept of marriage for me, after kind of letting go of a lot of expectations of myself and leaving relationships, you know, that weren't serving me and learning how to do that and learning how to feel Like I don't have to explain myself to death over not settling for something just because I should be getting married. Luckily, I'm I'm still hopeful and it hasn't become this abstract thing. I see myself making that agreement with someone, but I also see myself not rushing towards it anymore. And I also see myself, I'm feeling and seeing a lot more acceptance in my life over the different offshoot of life that could be if I never chose that. It's still a beautiful goal and peak that I would love to reach eventually. But I think also just realizing and accepting that I am going to be okay without that. Don't need that to be happy. Don't need that to complete my way of being. And also just realizing that I don't have to explain why I'm not doing that has been kind of a coming home experience this year. Again, like definitely still a goal and definitely something that I still am so happy to see other people succeed in. It sounds like you see marriage as like a symbol of the type of relationship that you want to find. Yeah, it's a symbol of the kind of relationship that I would like to open myself to building in the next couple of years. Something that I would mindfully call in a little bit more just by having more of those sweet, hard conversations that we mentioned earlier. I think it's just like becoming more fluent in my own own needs and and how to really assert those in a caring and present way for someone else. Marriage is a party. <laughs> until it isn't. Until it isn't. And then it <laughs> until, is again. Until you wake up and then it's a nightmare. And then you come back and you're like, oh, well, maybe I can deal with this. Still love you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a good answer to that one. I, I think that all of my exploration through relationships is still sort of novice in a sense. 
it's just never become relevant. And I love talking about this stuff and I love cultivating the skills that I need to be good at it. But fundamentally, I'm not walking the path that I thought I was when I was younger, picturing an adult version of me. So my process has been very similar to what Anna described as letting go of the prescriptions and the ideas of who I thought I was going to be and this kind of thing and just rolling with the punches because that turns out to be a pretty useful life skill outside of the context of, of dating or anything else. All it does is open you up to, to better opportunities and better situations. Which is a wonderful tie-in to self-compassion, ever-going theme. Here at Shit I'm Not Proud Of, you have to be patient with yourself and nice. Sometimes things don't go the way they're planned. Other times things work out great and learning to manage that nightmare harmony cycle is probably going to be an important life lesson. And if you want to be in a relationship, you want to get married, whatever it is, finding a person who can support you doing that and challenge you in the areas where you're not good at giving yourself compassion or self-care, for me, that's been a big plus to having a person and committing to someone is someone who can remind me when I'm getting a little crazy with my to-do list and not taking enough time out for myself. And we try to do that for each other is recognize the other person when they're kind of going off the rails a little bit. It's a fascinating concept self-care as it, as it translates into a, how to manage a partner. That's a great sign that you either are, you aren't with the right person is, are you still growing? And do you feel free to do that? I mean, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. What have we learned here today? Don't date dancing or do date dancing, but... <laughs> do date dancing. Date Hell yes. It, date it healthily. Yeah. Figure out what your thing is that opens and broadens you and your relationship. And mm. that can be something so small as you have an activity or a hobby that you do on your own. It can be that you have multiple other relationships ongoing. It could be that there's space in your relationship to talk about other people, even like celebrities that you're attracted to. For some people, that might be like, whoa, push in the boundaries here. <laughs> but at least you're pushing them. And at least you're like doing stuff that makes you a little uncomfortable in how you relate to each other. You're acknowledging that the outside world still exists. Totally. I think that's all the time we have for today. Sharon, I want to thank you for coming out here to be on the show. It's really wonderful to have you. I feel like in a lot of ways, the relationship Rolodex is the blog version of this show, or probably more accurate to the timeline. This show is a podcast of your blog, and you've been a very big inspiration for why we're doing this, why I'm doing this. So thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I love talking about relationship stuff. So happy to be here. Rad. And we just point everybody to the relationship Rolodex. Relationshiprolodex.wordpress.com. That's where it all is. Super fabulous. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Be patient. Love yourself. I'm Charlie. And I'm Anna. And this is Shit I'm Not Proud Of. Have a great day. So he said, oh my dear, how lovely you are. Have no fear, I'll always be right here. And when I'm gone, don't follow me. Live life on without me. Shit I'm Not Proud Of is made with love in Denver, Colorado. 
and is recorded at Creative Density Coworking. If you need a low-cost podcasting studio to record from in Denver, look up Creative Density at www.creativedensity.com. Next week, we'll be looking at living upside down. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. 